Hi everyone, welcome back to the Ball Girls. So this week we're joined by Dan Marazas, formerly of the Vegas Golden Knights and DraftKings as well. So thank you so much, Dan, for joining us. Absolutely, Haley. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I'm going to start off the questions. Um, so being one of the original employees for the Vegas Golden Knights, a lot of people loved how the team presented themselves on social media. How did you come up with all of those ideas? Like I know the the hangover. Uh, when you were talking to, was it Brands? Uh, who was it again? Uh, that actually was that actually was Brandstrom. I'm really impressed. We actually oh. did the thing. So it was at the draft. We did we did that, and actually, right, the draft was in Chicago that year. And before we left, we actually went on the roof of Caesar's Palace and we filmed something with Derek England, Braden McNabb, Jason Garrison, and Marc Andre Fleury. Marc Andre Fleury had the satchel, and I remember going up there. It was June. It, must have been 125 degrees on the top of Caesar's Palace. And I had a suit on with my luggage getting ready to leave well, Chicago right from there. So we had a couple of hangover experiences uh, going with that team. Amazing. So yeah, but um, yeah, how do you get up with all of those ideas while you were with the team? Yeah, so it's a fairly good question. When I got there, uh, obviously the team started playing in June of 2017, but I, oh, October of 2017, they got the franchise. Oh, they got the players in June of 2017. I got there in June of 2016. So that was an extra, uh, I think it was, I got there on Sunday night, June 19th, right, as the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship. Like, that was like when my claim landed. And uh, three days later was when the NHL gave them the franchise. So at that point, we only had seven or eight employees. Our office was about 12 by 12 in an Ikea, in a, in, next to an Ikea in an industrial yard. Our actual offices hadn't even built yet at this point. And uh, I was the only person that wasn't ticket sales. Our logo said Vegas is hockey because we didn't have a team name. We had no general manager or players, anything. So from that aspect is hindsight, kind of like looking back, it seems like that we developed the voice very quickly, but I would say it was not as quickly, maybe internally, because I guess sometimes when you're in it, you like you go through some of the slow days. In our cases, we weren't really able to develop much of a voice for the first couple months because the people that were needed to approve brand direction were not even employed by the team yet. So that's like a tricky aspect of it. It's hard to have a meeting when the person doesn't exist yet. I think the thing that really started to change things for us is I think it was in September, about three months later, we hired a guy whose name is Nami Abu Zaid, and he was the chief marketing officer of the team. Uh, he'd been, he stayed about a year, and I worked very closely under him, and he was a guy who came from the win in Vegas, so he was a non-traditional hockey, hockey professional sports marketing person, but a really bright guy and really understood the Vegas market. And one of the things that he really wanted to emphasize, not only for social, but also for in-game presentation, which as you probably remember the medieval, medieval times on ice type shows, which funny enough, the guy who did them just got hired by Seattle. Uh, I just saw on Instagram, he just arrived there about yesterday, I think. So uh, with us, it was the idea of Vegasizing things. That was the expression that we like to use, where we wanted a voice that was going to mirror what the city was, where some people sometimes say, well, what you guys did wouldn't work in Winnipeg or wouldn't work in St. Louis. But the thing is, Las Vegas, Winnipeg, and St. Louis are completely different cities. In our case, we wanted to approach it as that everything that maybe the outside maybe looks at Vegas, maybe with skepticism of why pro sports wouldn't work there, we want to charge towards those things. And we want to be those things. And we want to be fun. I think one of the things that is pretty interesting, especially as we look now and the Golden Knights are been I think the number two favorites to win the Stanley Cup this year is the one thing that we were not necessarily counting on was the team's going to be so good.
this is not expected. This was not the plan. I wish it was, but it wasn't the plan. Is that at the time we said, okay, traditionally expansion teams take two, three, four, five years, sometimes even more to, to get good. At the very least, we're going to be entertaining. We're going to do something that even if people in the desert don't know about hockey, some of them do, some of them don't, we want to have that entertainment factor that even if the team isn't much to write home about now, they're going to have such a good time with it that they are going to enjoy it and by, by like process of elimination, let's get into hockey more at the same time. That was how we came up with the strategy. When it came to individual ideas, I think it came down to different people that we had in the organization. I think that one of the things that sometimes uh, people, maybe on the outside, they maybe know one or two people that work for the team or associate as a social person, but it really takes a village. And in our case, it was taking that edict that came from our chief marketing officer and trying to disseminate that, whether like I said, whether that was for in-game or for social. But the idea of how that voice came to be, I would say that it was definitely that. It was definitely something that uh, some of the comments we used to get were, were pretty funny. I remember one of them was like, who runs this account? Don Rickles. And I was like, can you like do a LinkedIn recommendation? Like, can you like write that one up for me? Is like, kind of like that one, but no, it was really a, a collective effort, and it was something that when getting that chief, the chief marketing officer, he's someone who then had the relationship with hockey ops with ownership. So it's not just. I think sometimes people see other teams and they say, "Why does this team not do this per se?" But it really is something that's reflective of an organization's values and doing it from the top down, and that's something that we definitely did, and that's kind of how that kind of came. And, and like I said, from my aspect. I was kind of uh, ground zero there for a while of the first 12 months. I was the only digital employee up until about a month before the expansion draft. So it really was in kind of in a lot of that really, uh, you know, on the day-to-day basis is that sometimes people ask me like, uh, like, how'd you pick Vegas? And I was like, Vegas picked me, <laughs> you know, is uh, Vegas picked me. And it was, uh, you know, really fun chapter. That's awesome. Um, first off, can confirm that Vegas in June is disgusting. I was there the year that 2017, the night of the NHL Awards. I wasn't there as a Backstreet Boys concert, but like I was there. And I remember landing at the airport and it was 119 degrees and I wanted to die. Good. Uh, that same night, it was actually my cell phone melted. <laughs> it was, we were at the uh, the event where all the Josies were unveiled that, like, that Adidas had done. Yeah. And- it was it was the first time the Golden Knight jersey overall was being shown. I think this was like the night before the expansion draft. And I was with uh, the guy who was including with us at the time as we were walking out. And he actually, he's doing a great job. He actually was in Nashville and MLS now in social. And he's, and he's, and he's, uh, he's going to get lost in a few years probably. Is that uh, I remember walking out and the sides of my cell phone were drooping in. It was like, and I was like, it's like seven o'clock at night. This is like these two week stretch ever. And the expansion draft is tomorrow. So he and I started driving the back from the strip to the team offices about 20 minutes off the strip. And we pulled into a really rough neighborhood as we both didn't really know the area that well. It was the closest Verizon store. And we got loaded up on the phone. And I think we got back to the office about maybe 8.30 and we were getting ready to go home. And right before we went home, we got got kind of pulled aside. It was the list of, of the team's expansion draft picks the day before, before anybody knew them. And we have we had to get some content ready. And I think we left about 3.30 in the morning because we legitimately didn't know it was coming, but it was every pick coming to the next night. So <laughs> Vegas, cell phone melting, something like that. So I always like to say that was like the first, that cell phone went right into the, uh, the new cell phone got thrown right into the fire. It was the uh, first day in service was the expansion draft. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so 
That's so funny. Well, kind of speaking on the social terms, I've seen a lot recently because, you know, people, they kind of show who they are on these brand accounts, but a lot of people say they don't want to, like, know who the person's running the account. So say, I'm running the Toronto Maple Leafs account, people don't want to actually know that I'm the person putting in all this work. Do you agree with that, or what are your thoughts on that? So I would say my feelings on that have probably evolved a little bit over the years. I think one of the things that I kind of mentioned uh, a minute ago was that it really takes a village to put these things together. I think sometimes when one person or two people sometimes get very visible in that, I think it sometimes takes credit away from that village that really is playing a big part in that. I think one of the things for me is I'm not the type of person that is looking at it that this needs to be like the Wizard of Oz, like this is a person that stays hidden behind the curtain and nobody knows who they are. That being said, is I don't necessarily think there should be a concerted effort to try to get the person out there on an extreme level because I think what happens then is, is that for a lot of fans, they, uh, the line between the individual person and the actual brand, I think sometimes can, it can get blurry. I know in the case of the Golden Knights, I was someone who was very visible and I think there were definitely some positives to that and probably some drawbacks as well. I think in our case, I don't, we don't, I don't necessarily think it was the plan thing hey, let's be the face of things. But I think it was more the thing that when the franchise got there, there was so much enthusiasm for the team. And it's something that maybe people from Las Vegas don't really understand is that if you've grown up in Vegas, you've never had something of your own before that. It's always everybody else's thing coming into your city. And I remember like when I moved into my house there, like I had nothing in my like in the house at all. And the cable guy came in and he asked me what I was doing there. And I said, it, like I was like, looking for the hockey team. And he was like, I've never seen a hockey game, but I'm so excited I'm going to buy season tickets because I love my hometown. And that was kind of the attitude. So the thing was, though, when you have no players, what do you cover as the media for the first year? There's nothing to cover. So in our case, with the franchise as a whole, whether it was myself, whether it was game presentation and some other folks on the business side, is that a lot of the those business storylines showed to be covered. Where What is the franchise doing to build this? What is the franchise doing to build that? the fans were so anxious to embrace everything with the team that I think some of the team employees were almost treated by the fans as like the way that you, most fans only treat players where like these are the figures in town. So I think from that aspect, it was kind of almost not on, not intentional, but it ended up, I think, maybe making me very public where some people definitely probably associated me with the brand, which was sometimes difficult when it's uh, I'm part of the brand, but you know, it's several people. I think the way I look at it is instead of it being a team saying, bam, 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 he was Haley or he was Dan or he was Jordan and he was they or the brand, is more of that. It's like if it's podcast, if it's like industry type things, I think those are fine. I think more when it gets into putting things that are less for industry eyes and more for fans' eyes and doing it that way, I think that's kind of where I kind of maybe, I don't know, draw the line is the right word. That's kind of the caution. And I think, it, like I said, it really goes back to, to is, is think of it this way, is say Haley is working on a team's social account and Jordan is the one that everybody associates public with this. And anytime there's something awesome, people go, yeah, I love Jordan's world. That's awesome. And Haley would almost be like, like, what the hell? Like, what about me? And I think sometimes that can kind of happen when you, uh, you know, when, and I've seen that with some other places as well, where when you don't do it that way. I think really driving that, I think from the top down, I think it's something that's really important for the leadership to really establish is that this is not about Haley's successes or Jordan's successes or Dan's successes. These are rapid group successes. I think as long as that's the guiding light, so to speak, I think we'll be okay. 
Sure. So, um, what are your personal favorite teams um, within the NHL, even just MLB, NFL, any teams ever um, that are great in social media? And kind of like what social marketing efforts do they take that you find innovative? You know, I've joked that I should start charging people to plug the uh, plug their work when asked this question. But uh, no, I would say a couple, and I'll do one for like each sport. In baseball, I've always loved the Colorado Rockies. I think one of the things that's really impressive about them is that baseball is a very day in and day out sport. Where in every year except 2020, there was 162 games, and it could be very repetitive. And the Colorado Rockies find a way to live tweet games and do it in ways that are completely different uh, on, on a regular basis and doing that in a sport that's so every day is really impressive. I remember this is probably a year too old, but one of them they did was if you've ever been in the uh, like get Getty images or any of the photos and you read like the official descriptions of the photos where it's like this formalized language would be like the Toronto Maple Leafs defeated the Montreal Canadiens in an NHL game in Montreal, Quebec, Canada on Tuesday. And it's all this like drawn out language. They tweeted an entire game as if it was captions and Getty images. I was amazing. And they do so many things like that where I myself am not a Colorado Rockies fan. Uh, but at the same time, I love following this stuff because they are really creative with how they do it. And they do it in a way that's funny, but it's also very light. It's very non-confrontational. I mean, even last night, they I think they lost 23 to 5 last night. And a lot of teams would stop, uh, stop posting really that. And they did in a way where they weren't like making fun of it per se, but there was just a lot of honest like, and, and direct from this and just kind of building that relationship. Where the way I kind of say it is it's not about a game for the season. It's about like a journey through like, if you were a fan of, a of the Rockies when you were five and then you were 35 and there was still a team, actually, everybody in the was yet, but you know what I mean? Is that it's the same kind of idea is that it's, it's something that transcends individual seasons and it's building that journey. I think they do a really good job of that. In the NBA, one of my favorites is the Sacramento Kings. I think uh, one of the reasons I really like them, especially on Instagram, is is I would be lying if I said I watched a Sacramento Kings game probably in the last year or two. But that being said, is kind of back what I was saying, how a lot of teams, when they don't win, they really kind of hide from it. The Sacramento Kings stuff is almost more entertaining when they don't win that they do use memes in a way that is like, I'm not type that, I'm not huge in somebody who's going to Giphy and just plucking the same gift from the office and putting it in without like updating it in any way. Like, well, what does that have to do with Sacramento Kings? But they'll take things like that and they'll customize them. Like one of them I remember, I think it was last, right around Christmas last year, they've been on a losing streak and they won a game and they took the scene from Home Alone 2 when Kevin walks out of the hotel and gets a cheese pizza and they edited it. So when the pizza box got open, it was just a W sitting in the pizza box. And there's so many like modifications like that that they do. And they and so them as a team that maybe I would not be compelled to follow as much, but I follow those social and follow them because of that. I think they have a lot of buy-in from the organization to be able to act that way when they don't win. And I think also that being said, I don't know if that would work in every market. I don't know if Philadelphia or the New York team could get away, or the Leafs could get away with being you'd see when they blow a game. Uh, I don't know how well that would go, but the Sacramento Kings, it works for them, and, and I really like it a lot. In hockey, I think I'm probably not unique in saying this one, but I think the Carolina Hurricanes have really done a great job over the last few years. Uh, they've, they hired somebody who I'm going to plug in a little bit. His name is Dan Lutheraka, and he's developed a really strong staff there. And that maybe it's the Dan thing that we got to – and we're both from New Jersey, too. I guess that's the bottom. 
is that he had previously been with both uh, the Brooklyn Nets and Carolina Panthers and someone who had been in team sports but had uh, maybe not been in the NHL specifically. And so brought in some new ideas and they brought in a new social manager that was under him. And I know there would be hard thing to fairly well. And they get a huge buy-in. And the thing that impresses me most about them is how nimble they are. And what I mean by nimble is the perfect example is the one, I guess it was a year ago now, the whole Don Cherry bunch of jokes thing that within 12 hours they were selling t-shirts that were a bunch of jokes. Some people on the outside might not see how hard that is. It was also on a weekend too. Don Cherry said this on a Saturday night and by Sunday they were selling these shirts where you have to get buy-in on that. You have to not only know how to get the shirts done and get it out, but just to get the approvals from some from people on weekends, which in some cases you might not be able to do. In the, in the Hurricanes case, they've empowered people to make decisions. And I think that's allowed them. And the same thing even this year with David Ailes, that when they've, the way I say is when they've had an opportunity, they have a test. And they have a test. And I think that's something that's really benefited them. So definitely love, love the Hurricanes. Also love, uh, obviously, Gritty. I mean, come on, that's not that, not that original. Uh, I like to joke sometimes that Gritty might be more known in the United States than most of the players in the league. Which is actually kind of good or bad, I guess, depending on how you how, how you, you how you look at it. I think the reason Freddy has been good is because it's almost two years old now. I said it because I don't know what Freddy exactly is. Is Freddy is two years old now, and they still develop original content. This isn't something that's gotten old. It's not something that's gotten stale. And I don't think they necessarily planned Freddy to be this breakout star that it became. But once they realized that this was there, they put a lot of resources into that way more than maybe some other teams do with mascots. I would say those would be those four would be ones that are favorites. I mean, there's many more that have different elements. I like in, in the NHL. I think the Penguins do a really good job. Where it's not necessarily one thing that really sticks out. Just kind of nuts and bolts, fundamentally strong. I think they're really good. I mean, the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Indians are really good in baseball. There's a lot, but those I'll single out those couple of top. I hope everybody else is amazing. Awesome. So kind of switching into your more recent work of DraftKings, a lot of people say that esports and sports gambling are kind of the future of sports. Obviously, you having worked in that, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's funny. The expression that I heard at DraftKings, and I really like it, and I use it now, is that it's almost like this industry is Budweiser and Prohibition and yesterday. And I really like that one, whereas, uh, which I guess, you know, I guess I'm glad to have the company stop too, if Budweiser did have the Prohibition. Is, but the same way is, I think it's something that, think of, think of it this way. Think of how many people watch football because of their fantasy football teams. Like, I is think of how many people in offices only watch college basketball when it's March Madness because they were their office bracket a ton. Super Bowl, you have Super Bowl office pools. There's so many things like that. I think what that really shows is, is how much interest having skin in the game can really have for people and having that rooting interest. Well, it's one thing to be a super fan of a team that really cares about if a team wins or loses. But if you're a little casual fan and you know you kind of like it, but you know you maybe don't have the same rooting interest you watch, but it's something to do is this gives you that element. I think it really drives a lot of interest. I think it's something that from a financial aspect, at least I'm sitting in New Jersey right now, is you can, and, and this is the, what's the first state to legalize mobile sports betting on, to do it on phones and not just in, in sports books and casinos, is that you can't go five seconds without seeing an ad for either DraftKings or FanDuel or William Hill or some of the other ones. As I mean, even on team broadcast, you know, now you have, you might not even see them see them where you guys are is but in a lot of NHL broadcasts they'll have like the digital ad on the glass behind the net that'll be something that will be the 
performances. I think with split betting, I think this thing, especially if you even look at people who put their money in today, uh, Michael Jordan was actually named the advisor at DraftKings today, and uh, I think some other ones is, I mean, you've seen the Ted Leonis's, you've seen the Jerry Joneses, the Robert Krafts. I mean, these are smart guys that I, I want to be on their side of history when it comes to business. And these are guys that have really uh, put, put their money where their mouth is and really kind of got involved in this as well. I think when you see that and it's kind of understanding that there's so much potential and it's not just saying, hey, Jordan, Haley, and Dan are going to have cell phones and they're going to bet on hockey games or something like that. But it's even to the point that I think one of the things in the future is that a lot of arenas and stadiums are going to build sports books, sports bars in their venues. So say you're the Leafs and you have this, instead of just having hockey games the basketball game in the winter, you now have 365 day year foot traffic with a lot of people. So on game, you got 20,000 sports fans coming in that are right there, but you have people that are, you have a reason for people to go there all year round. I think that is part of the future. I think the, uh, I think the thing that's going to be really interesting for the industry as a whole is how it markets itself. I think a lot of people who maybe don't have background in gaming or have never really placed a bet before think of it as maybe this CD type of underworld type thing where you know the bookies in the back of his deli you know taking in his taking his whatever he's taking in is that but to kind of make it something that is not necessarily intimidating that way that it's not that you have to bet a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or these really you know big amounts is that you could have fun doing it in a way that's less than that a little bit more responsible I mean especially in the days of COVID where people are losing jobs don't have to acknowledge that is people might not have the money to be doing a lot of that on that, on that same degree. But I think once the industry, if the industry is able to successfully position itself as something that's safe and that can be done healthy, I think it's something that I could even see in the future that I could see the Google and the Amazons getting involved in this. I could easily say it that you're going to be able to bet on games where you're on your Amazon Prime account and you can just bet on a game from that. Or you have your TV controls. And instead of switching it to Rogers Bluesnet, it'll have, you want to place a bet on this game and you'll be able to click it on your controls. I really think that's the way a lot of things are going. So it's going to be, it's the, the thing is, I think in 2000, 2020s decade, I think that's going to be the big thing of this decade that when 10 years when people look back and, you know, still a lot of places don't need to patch, pass legislation on it. But a lot of that is, is moving at least as far as I know is that I think this is going to be the thing that really kind of changed the game almost the way that television once upon a time changed the game and radio changed the game and the internet changed the game I think this is this decade thing yeah it'll be exciting to see what goes on with it um but yeah before DraftKings you've always worked in hockey even Olympic mm -hmm. level have you found that covering it uh, in any way has kind of taken away like being a fan like i know when i worked for the jays like in the jays shop like many years ago i would dread even if the jays are doing good or doing bad i'd be like yay like let's go home so like awful attitude but yeah. yeah no totally i think one of the things and it's funny you mentioned the jays is the jays inadvertently are how i got into hockey you might say how the hell did that happen oh oh so, oh this is gonna this one's gonna blow your mind so my aunt was a travel agent for CBS in the early 90s. And before Fox had the rights for the postseason, CBS had them. So that included 92 and 93 when the Jays won the World Series. So in 93, I was six. And we, had, my aunt got my dad and I World Series tickets if we could go to Toronto. 
So we went to game six when Joe Carter had the home run in the Jays won the World Series. So that was actually my first time in Canada, believe it or not. So anyway, is when we were up there, that the Leafs were also really good at that time. And that was the Pat, Bo- Pat Boone's coaching the Leafs and Doug Gilmore and Dave Andrzejczyk and, and, and those guys. And they had gone off to a six start in that 93, 94 year. The year before was when they lost to the Kings with Gretzky in the conference finals. And then that year they went to the conference finals against the Canucks. But I think they started out like six an hour or something like that, whatever, some like crazy amount. And that night, October 23rd, the night the Jays won the series, the Maple Leafs beat the Lightning. And they put it on the video screen. And the police went just as crazy for that as they did for the Jays that night. And so my family, like my parents didn't have a background in hockey at all. I grew up 10 miles outside of New York, uh, I grew up, I would say, maybe a 10-minute drive from the Meadowlands where the Devils played. But my brothers didn't necessarily dislike hockey. They just didn't really know it. Like, a lot of Americans really didn't know it. So my dad kind of had it in his mind that he wanted to expose me to, like, every sport at some point in time. So next Tuesday, three days later after the World Series, I went to my first NHL game. It was coincidentally the first ever time Modi Brodeur faced Patrick Waugh. It was Brodeur's rookie season. It was actually his first loss, too, uh, for Brodeur. And Patrick Waugh pitched a shutout. I was I knew so little about hockey is that it took me three, like probably half the game to understand the team in red was not the Devils. I think a little, I, I just didn't get it at that time. It, that was how I kind of got into hockey that way. And I think for me, then, I started to play hockey also. And that's how I eventually, so like I'm 33 now. I got started as an intern when I was 16. And I think it was a thing that growing up, I like, it was, it was, I guess there's a couple ways you could say, you could say, oh, this is what I, this is my dream and I loved it. But it was also the only thing I was kind of good at and like was telling stories about hockey that way. So for me, you had to have an American go to a baseball game in Canada to get into hockey in the United States was kind of the way that it kind of went. But uh, no, is I think as a fan is that I grew up as a Devils fan in New Jersey. And then when I was more in high school and college, I, like the Islanders a little bit more just because they had traded for Michael Patrick was one of my favorite players. I just like the, you know, a little, a little guy to lay people out back in the day to do that. Is, uh, but the thing is, for me, sometimes people ask me, even at drafting people ask me, is like, who do you root for? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer the question because for me, I root for players that I like and people that have been good to me in, in my career is more so than a team that I have a fandom of. Like, yeah, I grew up as a Devils fan. If you show me clips of the 95 Stanley Cup, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Devils fan. But the thing is, I haven't been a Devils fan in, in a long time now. So for me, I think it doesn't necessarily change the way how much you like the sport. I think it changes the way you watch the sport. Yeah. For sure. Just because it's like, how can I root for the Devils if I'm looking for the Lightning or if I'm looking for the Golden Knights? Like, we're, we're playing them. So it's even like, which actually, I'll use that as a segue, you might ask, why am I willing to move the Admirals hat with a logo that they don't even use anymore? And this goes into, I guess, the playoffs this year. One of the people who I really like to see do well is John Cooper, the coach of Lightning. And one of the reasons is it goes into that aspect of who's been good to you at different times. So for me, is when I started as an intern, I took a long time to break into the industry on a a full-time basis. I probably have the record of the most unpaid days in the history of the industry. I've lived in seven states. I've done what I've had to do, you know, so to speak. So in 2011, 2012, I was like a intern grad assistant with the Lightning. And that year, the Lightning, John Kubu wasn't the coach yet. He was the Northbrook coach. And it was Guy Boucher was the Lightning coach. And the Lightning that year 
they had gone to the conference finals and Boston you would, but they just didn't, it, things just didn't click that year. It was Stamco scored 60, but the team did not make the playoffs. And it was one of those years that by January, they kind of gave them a chance that they were going to make the playoffs for slim. So in my case, I'm like, oh man, it's going to be year eight of not working full time and being in this industry. What can I do to kind of like make a little more of an impact? So at the time, the Olympic Admirals were, you know, they were decent. I think they were like fifth in the conference. It was like February. So I had suggested to the Lightning Lodge that rather than me staying until June when the when I was originally supposed to stay until, how about I leave in April? Well, you know, the Lightning Lodge could be in the playoffs anyway. And maybe it'll go around or two. And I offered volunteers that you don't have to pay me for any of it, but I will drive and I will cover wherever the Northwood Admirals go for the playoffs, I will drive and I will cover the team as a beat reporter for TampaBayLightning.com. I did this with the idea that, okay, my family lives in northern New Jersey and most of the AHL at that time was, you know, Syracuse and Binghamton and Albany and places that, you know, the three, three and a half hours, four hours, but not prohibitive. So when the Lightning approved this, the Admirals stopped losing games. They won the next 28 games. Great. It was the longest winning streak in the history of pro hockey at any level, at least on this side of the ocean. And if you look at the team, I guess it makes sense. John Cooper was the coach, and Tyler Johnson, and Andre Pallat, and Alex Cologne, and Brad Pogutis, and Richard Panic, and a lot of guys that, you know, have made the Lightning the powerful team that they now are. And then in the playoffs, they only lost three games. They went 15-3, and three, and they won, won the Cup. However, at the beginning of that, I took this on knowing that there were two doomsday scenarios. One was they had to play the Abbotsford Heat in the in the Calder Cup Finals because Abbotsford's in British Columbia and there's no way I'm gonna be able to drive to British Columbia when I don't have any money. And the second one was that they would play the St. John's Ice, Ice Caps in the, at some point in the Eastern Conference playoffs because I cannot drive to Newfoundland. My car doesn't flow. I I can't do it. So of course, played the St. John's Ice Caps in the Eastern Conference Finals. Of course, because that's how things have to go. It was so frustrating. It was game seven. They were against Wilkes-Barre Scranton, and Wilkes-Barre was 90 minutes from where my parents lived. I was like, it could have been that, but no, St. John had to win. <laughs> I was the only person on the hockey side with the Admirals that really knew kind of what my situation was, that the second the season was over, I wasn't going to have a job anymore, that I'm doing this where I'm kind of really going around. And he used to joke sometimes. It's one of my nicknames, it was T-Rex, because – I didn't eat vegetables, they only eat meat. And I think that was the the poor intern just trying to use his media meals and eat up. Is that, you know, sometimes some like him and the goalie coach would joke like T Rex, how do you drive with the little arms and all stuff stuff like that? Is and it was pretty funny. So going into the conference finals against St. John's, it started it was two games in Northbrook, three in St. John's, and then two would have been two back in Northbrook, even though it ended up being a sweep where they outscored like twenty to five or something like that is that John Cooper asked me uh, before the game once, like, what are you going to do? Like, you driving to St. John's? And I said, like, I, I don't know yet. Like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I was really stumped. So John Cooper's suggestion was, how about this? Who's my cell phone number? Don't tell anybody you're not there. After the game, wait 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and call me. I can only give you two or three minutes. Take what you need. Don't tell anybody you're not there. Continue your coverage. And then we'll and, you know, and just do it that way. And he was he was up to his word on it. I mean, it was uh, one of the games was an overtime game. From my parents' basement, I called John Cooper 30 seconds after the overtime game. And the same way, the next day, they clinched the Eastern Conference in St. John's and did that too. And then they luckily, 
uh, the hockey gods were a little kind of us. We got Toronto in the finals as opposed to Oklahoma City, which was the alternative. Toronto was a lot closer than Oklahoma City. Is that uh, and and the Admiral swept the Marlies in the finals that year. And my last day with the Lightning and John Cooper actually allowed it that I could actually lift the Calder Cup on the ice at Rico Coliseum. So as kind of a thing that it's funny since then, I think I've only talked to him twice in the last eight years. One of them was on the draft for the 2013. Uh, that was a couple months after he got the lightning job. And then in Vegas, when they went out there, we caught up in the tunnel, you know, the games. Not like I knew the guy that, that well, but it kind of shows a little bit kind of what he's about. You know, they always use the expression, like treat the president of the company the same way as the janitor or the intern or whatever the case may be. And in that case, that was John Cooper. And that is his personality. And I think it's something that of how he's lasted with the lightning as long as he has, is that he's developed an atmosphere there. Leaving yesterday, he was doing his media availability with an Aerosmith show about him. Like, you can't picture a lot of coaches doing that, you know? And it just kind of develops that thing that he genuinely, I don't know if he genuinely cares or not, but he sure as hell comes off like he genuinely cares. And I'm like, man, if he's willing to do that, when he's trying to get into the NHL himself and in big games for himself, and that allowed me to complete that project, which was really central for me eventually getting hired by NBC to cover the Olympics and really launch my career. I'm like, that says a lot about that guy. And in this case, you know, he's been there now eight years, seven, eight years now. You know, the pressure on that team is a lot. And I kind of, I want to see them do well. So I'm learning that Norfolk Admirals today on the long soliloquy. What do they say? Is like, if you take care of the people, they want to take care of you too, however it works. So uh, that explains, uh, you know, I guess, I guess that's also a little bit of a different way about being a fan. You're way more of a fan when it's the first round of the playoffs, and if the team gets not back, you don't have a job. Yeah, fair enough. That's a that's a pressure pad scenario, right? It was it was like, oh, they advance, fist pump under the table. Uh, I have a job with the more leagues, and I keep going that way. So that's a different way to watch the game, I would say. Maybe a little. That, that might even be tougher than gambling on a game. That's true. We've got one last question for you. Left sure. Zoom that they cut you off after forty minutes, so it'll be super quick. But obviously, you've done so much in your career. Like with NBC, you literally won a sports Emmy. That's insane. But you've also had so many positions. Do you find as a young reporter to push out as much content as possible, like it's helped you be where you are? I would say my perspectives on this has developed over the years. I think one of the things that I definitely think now is I'm definitely more of a quality person than a quantity person at this point. I think the reason that I say that is I think sometimes in our own day to day, it can be easy to say it's. 10 o'clock in the morning, I haven't posted anything yet today, or it's 7 o'clock, I haven't posted anything yet. But for the most part, nobody on the internet is fucking saying that where is, when is Haley going to post something? When is Dan going to post something? It's not really how people work is. It is when something's good, that's when it starts to notice a little bit. And what I've noticed over the years is, is and this was definitely the case with the Golden Knights, is all the top two or three tweets a week would get more impressions than the remaining 100 combined. And it would be like that on a regular basis. So I say to myself, I started to deliver myself, hey, what about these posts? Those standing out from those posts. Oh, wait, this has this quality that those don't. Rather than me chasing every little thing that kind of I could possibly tweet about, let me scale back, knowing what really moved the needle is this, and do a little more of this. Especially moving the needle also now, even with, with sponsored content, knowing that. What are the things that actually deliver the money and pay the bills? Here? Oh, well, that's this. Maybe let me not chase that other thing that isn't going to get engagement and is not going to drive money for this for us. That being said, is I think it's when it comes to someone breaking in the business. I think having a presence is really important. 
I think for me, uh, the way I like I've looked at it, and one of the things that even changed for me is is that I've gone years with, like that you the uh, the lightning admirals. I think I drove eight thousand miles in two months. I mean, it was it was kind of nuts. But as I kind of got a little bit older, and I was freelancing right before I got hired by Vegas, I decided to try the other way. Say I'm not going to chase every single thing, but I'm going to interview Sean Avery or Mike Keenan or people like that, and those also got way more eyeballs than all the other ones combined would do. So I think that is something to kind of keep in mind that sometimes we all put that pressure on ourselves internally that we need to produce, we need to produce. But at the end of the day, the way I would say, four quotas don't equal a dollar. I would rather have one good thing than four mediocre things. They don't really add up the same way. I would say the other thing that's really important, especially if it's someone out there who's looking to like for a job or to move up is having a plan when it comes to building your own brand. And one of the things I do with that, I do it for myself, I've done it for companies, is I establish content buckets. And I know Jordan, you and I have discussed this in the past too, is that instead of just saying, I'm gonna go online and I'm just gonna post whatever comes to my head, which in my case is a bunch of nonsense, is I'm going to try to say, well, what do I wanna represent? So I wanna show people that um, I know my industry, that I know my sport, and in some way that I stand out from other people in a way that's really safe and not offensive. So in my case, on my personal channels, I try to be very positive and point out other people's good work. I like to use random trivia from games in like 1918 because my anti-social high school life, I spent reading about hockey and I'm going to use that information to my advantage now. And then in my case, I like dad jokes. So that's a way to show my personality in a way that's a little memorable, but it's kind of safe. I need to post in ways that sticks to a plan. You know, plans can change, but it's always easier to color within lines as opposed to just improvise and kind of make it up as you go. In my case, like when it comes to content, like I said, that could be me going to where the Sandlot was filmed and playing the soundtrack of the movie when I walk around and narrate it. I guess that's content, I guess, in a way, but it's not just saying, it's not more of a random thing. It's more, you know, it's more something that's kind of the theme, kind of how I would do things. I don't think the way I do it is the way that everyone needs to do it. I think it's about finding what's unique to you and what's unique to someone else. And I think what that allows you to do, especially in 2020, the internet is a really negative, nasty place sometimes. And sometimes I like to say every day to people, are you part of the nastiness or are you part of the solution? And I think sometimes that it can be very easy when people care about things to sometimes get stuff into these arguments that nobody ever wins and for me at least by having a plan that way it kind of keeps me out of those that instead of engaging it online maybe i'll talk to someone who's who lives with me and i'll say man you see what this whole said is but it's better for me to say it there than it is to do it online and it's all about that idea of establishing your brand whether that is through the quality of content whether that's through personality whether it's through all of those things because i think I will say this for sure. Twitter is the it's the 21st century marketplace. What the marketplace was in the 18th century is what Twitter is now. You have it's maybe for a more modern one. It's like the high school cafeteria. That might be a better one too. Is that it's good? It's bad. There's all sorts of things in there. But at the same time, is I've gotten more jobs and professional opportunities from Twitter than I've gotten from job boards. So knowing that that's kind of out there, it really kind of puts into perspective. So sometimes you'll see people say, oh man, I'm deleting all these apps from my phone. I always say like, take a deep breath. Maybe don't necessarily delete it all together, but maybe don't look at it all the time because 
especially in 2020, whatever they get in is that they thought 2012 was going to be the end of the world, but certainly 2020 then is, is that uh, if you're on the phone, your phone and you're looking at things all day, it would be really easy to have, to just get depressed and get really down because there's just so much negativity that way. I think it's kind of understanding that it's, it's very important to be conscientious and aware, but also to take care of yourself too. So in a way, like I said, it's all about having that plan and keeping yourself out of those things, which, you know, is, uh, you know, it's, hopefully 2021 is better than 2020, but it's really a way to kind of, you know, think, think crossed, right? I yeah. mean, is like, as I like to say that, we got to run the illness. When I was growing up, my favorite video game was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they travel in time. 2020 was they tra- when they travel into the future. And it's like neon lights, they're on hovercrafts flying through the streets. And I'm like, man, I'm sitting on the internet watching a bunch of people yell at each other. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. So, yeah. you know, hopefully, you know, eventually that will turns and maybe the world isn't so vicious and nasty sometimes. But especially when it is, I think it's a really smart way to navigate that, you know, and just watch out for your own image because a lot of times when it comes to the internet, think of people that you follow that you're like, man, I can't believe they said that crazy thing. I wouldn't want to lose them is that sometimes you say to yourself is, and I say this myself, what I'm going to say to you is, this is not why someone would hire me for the job, but it is a reason somebody might not hire me for the job. And I think thinking of that kind of like, and the same, like, the same way it's on a team to stick to a brand or a company to stick to a brand, I think individuals have like have brands too. Well, it's not about being serious, you know, it's dad jokes, it's, but it's just doing it in a way that's like, you know, uh, doing it with intention. Of course. So that's everything we have for you. But as always, we always open the floor to our guests if you have any questions for us. So let us know. But other than that, that's all for me. I'm trying to think if I got any questions. I'll, I'll give you a question here. Who's going to pick to win the Stanley Cup this year? Um, I feel like for many reasons, I'm always cheering for Vegas. First of all, just because um not not even just being like oh i love vegas but like truly i'm a blackhawks fan and they literally were so good and i was so bad so a vegas beat them b after i went to vegas like i was there in 2017 when everything was happening i was just like i followed them since then i was like you know this expansion you have seen them grow so that's really my pick i'm honestly like not to be anti-toronto they didn't make the customer round anyway but like even if toronto was in the second round i probably wouldn't cheer for them but yeah vegas is usually my pick I said it would have been ironic if Toronto won this year after all these years and nobody could go. Yeah, seriously. That would have been that would have been the all time. That would have been the all time. Julian, how about you? I'll give you I'll give you my my little take on it after. Oh, okay. Um, I right now, while everything is, I'm going to say, oh God, I've been, so Vancouver, obviously, Canada, one Canadian team, please do something, and, um trying to think no I'm gonna go with Avalanche though because I miss Kadri so much and the Tyson Berry trade still makes me upset so yeah Colorado's a sick team to watch too like the other other night I was listening to the uh the Tampa Boston game um the NHL app when I was driving in in Connecticut and I'm like let me just check that other school and I'm like what five nothing it was like it was like 10 minutes into the game but they have the ability to do that in my case is is it's kind of funny right now Tampa Bay is the betting favorite to win the cup and Vegas is second and those are my two formula teams. One of my, like, the good luck shots of NHL Digital is that sometimes is that, I don't know, is I like there's lots of people individually that I want to see do well. Uh, we'd love to see Vegas do well, but, you know, John Cooper and I go, like, you know, a little bit further back. 
is it would be really interesting. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll stay diplomatic, but it would be really interesting to see a Tampa Vegas uh, Stanley Cup final. Get me on the podcast. I can give the I can uh, the differences between the two organizations, you know, because I pro- I, th- I think I'm the only person that listens to two. I think. That would be sweet. I would love to see that coverage. I mean, think of how crazy that would be. I mean, and, and they played some really good games, too. The first time they faced each other the full season, I think when I was still in Vegas at that point, I think we won four to three or five, four, and it was a back and forth game. The lead changed like three times, and Shea Dealers was the winner of the second and a half up in the period. Is that Vegas and Tampa played a lot of good games at that point? I think it'd be a really entertaining style of hockey. That being said, if, if it was Colorado and Tampa, too, or even. Dallas, for that matter. I mean, people think of Dallas as a defensive team. They've just been scrolling like crazy. I, like, I, all I hear is Pantera coming out of my coming out of my TV all the time. Is one way or another, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting, and especially considering a couple months ago we didn't think this was gonna happen, and maybe with some skepticism of how good it was actually gonna be. I think the league's actually done a really good job. Sometimes I actually get fooled by the sound, uh, thinking that there's people actually there. As but uh, no, maybe we'll see that Tampa Vegas now the final. The Denver has a final. <laughs> We love to see it. But thank you so, so much, Dan, for joining us. As always, Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so go Vegas and Tampa Bay because we want to see that final. So thank you so, so much to Dan for joining us. If you want to follow him, his ad is at Dan Maraza. I believe just at Dan Maraza. Yes. I believe so. Let me double check. Yeah. I'm always so bad at this. Like last time, poor Tori. Her at is at Tori Lynn with one N underscore M. And I literally apologize to her. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so stupid. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I know it is Dan Marama. Yeah. There we go. Got it right. Chef's kiss. So we're going to go through this pretty quickly just because there wasn't like too, too much happening other than like the poor uh, Utah Jazz losing to the Denver Nuggets. Our guy Jamal Murray literally lighting it up for Canadian basketball, literally dropped like 40, 40, and 50 points in three consecutive games. Like, he's amazing. The Denver Nuggets have not been good since, like, I swear Carmelo Anthony played for them. I don't know if I'm making that up or not, but I swear to God. Like, they have not been good since they wore the baby blue jerseys. But um, speaking of NBA, so everyone saw that adorable video of Fred Van Fleet's daughter. Like, Jordan was that framed. I, should I save my life? <laughs> because... You, oh my God, you are the cutest little thing. I was showing the videos um, to my mom beforehand of them doing like the video. She's like, daddy is on TV. And then Fred Van Jr. is hitting a umbrella on the ground like this. <laughs> I was showing it that like the day before they were in the bubble. And then, yeah. So cutest thing ever in the world. Literally so sweet. And even like Giannis, I can literally never say his last name. Um, like on, on, you know, the Greek freak. Um, like his wife girlfriend don't really care his his lady and like their son was there and jimmy butler made these comments with like jimmy butler shut up like i love him as a player but like no one asked you i didn't know he was a father or <laughs> really had a family like literally also like 20 yeah i know i never know anyone's ages but um he was like, you know, personally, I wouldn't want to have my family in the bubble. And like, honestly, like, I can get where he's coming from. And in the same breath, you guys have been quarantined for two months now. Literally have not seen the outside world. Your families aren't going to put you in a position to damage that. And also, they probably had to quarantine before they came in. Like, sorry, people want to see their kids. My apologies. Like, thank you, Peanut Gallery. <laughs> like, honestly, who asked you, Jimmy Butler? Who said, 
Planned Parenthood new spokesperson Jimmy Butler. Like, not me. Yeah, but it's Wednesday. Calm down. But it's true. It's just like, I don't know. If you don't want to put your family in that position, that's great. Don't bring them to the bubble. But don't criticize other people for wanting to see their children who are, like, this big also. Like, if it was my age, my parents would be like, yeah, I don't care about seeing you. Like, you're 23. Get out of my house. Like, I don't want to see you. But when your kids are that young, like, Fred Jr. is what, like, a year old now? Yeah. Around like, the year now. Yeah, like, he literally, those are, like, the most crucial stages of his life. Obviously, his dad wants to see him at Basketball is his career. He has to provide for his family by playing basketball. You can't really just say like, no, we're not doing this. So yeah, that's the, um, the end of my NBA rant. WNBA, so we all know we love the WNBA. Literally accidentally bought not one, not two, but four Diane Taurasi shirts today because I'm stupid. I don't know how that happened. You said BOGO sale. Literally said BOGO. <laughs> and then the Phoenix Mercury said, no, you won't pay full price. But I had to call my mom and be like, so when you see like a $230 charge in your credit card, I made a boo-boo. That wasn't me. Truly. But uh, Courtney Vandersloot broke the WNBA assist record with 18 assists in one game, which, think, that's like 36 points, which is usually like a third of the points. So a third of like the points scored, she made the assist on, which is insane. And obviously, whatever she scored doesn't count. You don't get your own assist. Like, it's either unassisted or whatever. Anyways. Um, I saw a stat basically saying so she currently has the WNBA assist record for like the league and it's like over 300 assists. If the WNBA was a full league, she would break her own record with how many assists it is, which is just insane for a man or a woman. And that's what people were saying. And in her post game press conference that game, she wore a short, a short, a shirt. That said, sure. She wore a short, <laughs> she wore a shirt that said put women's sports on TV. And I was like, this woman is my president. I love her so much. So that's that. Um, that's it for basketball. Um, we'll move on to baseball now. Yeah. Okay. So trade deadline happened, but I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm just telling you it happened because <laughs> honestly, I'm making a pizza right now. So we're trying to just break it through before I eat that pizza. Um, you know, Clevenger's Padres, the place that Tony Hawk level four, Tony Hawk's on the ground took place that apparently there's no palm trees there. My bad for thinking oh. that. Um, that's what I was told forward which is crackhead so honestly okay um and then Toronto we got Robbie Ray you know Robbie Ray Stewart Hamilton's dad we got him because you know our bullpen is literally just a whole giant injured reserve <laughs> like okay Jack Jordan said bye Nate Pearson said bye Shoemaker said peace out out town now like whatever um so yeah and then we had Walker already um um, just before the deadlines, I believe. Yeah, just up before. Um, so yeah, that's that. And then last night, Yankees versus Rays. Uh, Yanks won five three, I believe. Yeah, five three Yanks. Um, and then a little little situation happened. Um, so okay, so I had to catch up on it because I did not get to see any baseball last night. Where I am, there's no game. Like there's no sports on TV here, so it kind of sucks. But um, yeah, so Chapman. Uh, so it's bottom of the Bottom of the ninth, was it? Top of the ninth, bottom of the ninth. I don't know. It was the ninth inning. Let's go with that. It was it was the top. I just realized that. Anyways. <laughs> um, threw a 99 mile per hour. Um, some people said it was 101, but yeah, 99 mile per hour fastball at uh Brazo's head. Yeah, it literally if he literally didn't do this, <laughs> that move saved his life. Like doing the thriller dance. 
it's literally saved man's life okay so that happened um um Barraza goes like he ends up striking out he walks back he keeps kind of looking at like the mound at chapman um chapman's known to be a wild pitcher also um do i think it was intentional no but like if you're if this is a history thing maybe fix it and learn your control and where placement exactly. um, i don't know but Anywho, um, the whole brawl happens. Barraza didn't say anything going back to the dugout, but he heard someone on the Yankees say it. I don't know who it was that said it. Um, so, yeah, anyways. And then um, Kevin Cash comes out saying, like, you're like, because earlier that game, someone else got hit. Um, Tanakwa uh, hit, or basically hit another player. I totally forget who it was now, but hit him. He, that was supposed to be like a message thing, but then they got the message across. Was what Cash was saying once Chapman almost hit Barrazo in the head. Um, so yeah, suspensions were handed out. Uh, Chapman got three games, which is one, two, three, four, five less than Joe Kelly. So apparently, that gets you five games. And then Cash got one for his comments because he's basically saying, "I have a whole bullpen that can throw ninety-eight at your player's head." So people were like, "This is threat. This is a threat." And it's just like, I don't know if it was really a threat, but like. Self defense, really. Yeah, like, I don't think he wasn't gonna, like, he wasn't gonna go pull a Tanya Harding on your team. Like, calm down. <laughs> like, he wasn't going to do that. Um, and then Aaron Boone got one, uh, got one game. So, which is one, two, three, one more than the Ashes ever did for cheating a World Series. So, I don't know. Rob Manfred's just literally tossing and flipping coins on what kind of suspensions people get. Truly, like anyone else, you literally breathe on MLB. He's like suspended. Astros, he chooses to be Jared. Nineteen. Like, I don't. I don't understand. There's no consistency, and it's like these aren't things in a rule book that it's like if you do this, you get one suspension. If you do this, you get three game suspension. Rob Manfred literally is probably like, sitting on his toilet in the morning and like gets an email and he's like, a great like. Oh my god, do you remember like, oh, was it on Webkin? Sorry, okay, this is not going on random ramp, but like Webkin's, and they have like a little thing that you can hit, like the spinning reel of fortune. That's literally, yeah, the reel of wow. I love RuPaul's drag race, but no, so (laughs) 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 I love World of Wonder, but no, uh, you would spin and it would be like, what suspension? Like, that's what I'm thinking Manfred does. Like, that's what he does. Like, he wakes up in the morning, you know, he's got this little roulette table. It's like, all right, suspension for Chapman, 14 black, let's go. Like, like he's, is appealing is the word I want to use right now because I can't think of anything besides the smell of the pizza beside me. But basically, yeah, he's going to appeal it, I'm pretty sure. I, it came out now, um, but it's just absolute eppery love. So, yeah. yeah, no, that is bizarre that there's literally no consistency there but uh, to finish off we've got two more things first one it's kind of just like saying the news and just like kind of reminds me of when we were in class we had to do those debates and mine was like are soccer players overpaid yes they are but i had to argue that they aren't um but Messi just signed a five-year deal for 700 million euros euros that's not dollars dollars or more like that's I don't know the conversion, closer to like 800, 900 million dollars. Um, he signed with a group that Man City owns, so I'm assuming, yes, he's going to Man City. I found the, um, the, the math is that he basically gets paid about 16 million euros an hour. Or not 16 million, 16,000 euros per hour. 
But like, what do you do with that money? I don't know. It's insane. But think he earns 384, 615 euros per day. That is more, that is like five times more than some people make a year. And he earns that per day. But I just, I, what do you? It's because he's the best. I just want an Apple Watch. Like, do you want to buy me one? Messi, sponsor. <laughs> no, it's true. And it's like, yes, he's one of the best players in the world. Probably like put him up there. I don't know. Neymar, Ronaldo. Like, yeah, he's he's worth some money, but that is just like an insane amount. Like, I remember there was a tweet that just came up the other day that it was like the 10 or nine year anniversary or something of when Real Madrid paid a hundred million pounds, not euros, for Gareth Bale. And that was like the most expensive thing in history. Same with a few years back when Neymar went to PSG. They had to pay a 300 million euro transfer fee or something like that. It was like insanity. 700 million euros, that's like quite literally close to a billion dollars. I hope you know that once a number goes past a hundred thousand dollars to me, I just don't even. <laughs> it's just how much. I'm, yeah, like True. that's my limit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just bizarre. Like, there's not much to say because really, like, I don't know. I don't work in soccer. I'm sure they make the money, and that was my argument when we were doing it in class. It's like the industry has to obviously generate that much money to be able to pay the players. People aren't paying out of pocket to have Messi. Like, soccer is the most watched sport in the world. Most played sport, not most watched, most played. I'm sure it's most watched too. Those are the thousand leagues. And obviously with Champions League and everything like that, you're playing like three to four times as many games as you would in any other sport, which is, that's an insane amount of money. Um, if he's a flop, I will laugh because you literally just paid 700 million euros for a flop. But um, last thing that came up, and I didn't get to read too, too much into this, but it just made me laugh because it's here, Toronto, local. So I guess Hotel X, who is one of the NHL bubbles, um, I guess they're being sued right now because they had this catering staff and they fired them all when the bubble started. And apparently the new catering company, their owner is a part owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pittsburgh? What? The Pittsburgh Penguins. So um, tea of the bubble. Yeah, so this, the original caterer, I think his name is Kevin, something Ken, something with a K. Um, and he, sorry, that's such a, anyways. Um, he was with the with Hotel X that opened in 2018. So literally, brand spanking new, and he was with them since the big open. And then he was really excited about the bubble because like I can work again, like hell yeah. And then he got told like nah, like you're out, peace out, a town now. Like they literally booted him. Um, and then yeah, Harlow Entertainment is the company that they brought in, uh, or yeah, was the catering company they brought in, and they have minority stakes in the Pittsburgh Penguins, which I, I don't. I don't understand. Um, that's just like a conflict of interest, if anything, really. Like, yeah. All the caterers in the world, you have one that just so happens to be a minority owner of a team that is or was in the bubble. Like, honestly, like when I thought like about the Anisha bubble and like kind of like what like drama or like discrepancies were going to happen I thought maybe like Ovechkin was going to go fight someone Marshawn was going to lick someone in the lobby but I didn't think it was going to be about a catering company literally even like you know when the NBA bubble first started the girl was like I got invited to the bubble I totally thought that totally thought like somebody was going to invite some girl to the bubble and like ruin everything no literally about catering like like, I get it a job's a job and obviously being booted out in favor of somebody who's like part of the hockey community is like absolute bullocks. 
but um, is the pizza okay? Pizza salad, one second. Oh my goodness. I'm just gonna rant on my own for two seconds. But yeah, I just think it's, you know, it's a conflict of interest, if anything. You know, if you thought somebody wasn't doing a good job or whatever, is your pizza okay? I thought there was pizza the whole time. It's been chicken wings sitting in there. Yeah. Not having pizza for dinner? I don't know. My mom just said, put this in the oven and I didn't look. Madame. <laughs> But um, yeah, it's just out of all the catering companies in the world you could have picked, you're picking one. There's clearly some sort of agreement there. Like they probably are getting like a prorated deal or something like that because the penguins are staying there. So they're like, well, bring our company, whatever. It has nothing to do with sports, but in the same breath it does because it has to do with the NHL bubble. Like honestly, you should have just hired Rico and Jackson's beef jerky truck. Whatever, was it Jackson and Rico? I don't know. Yeah, cheese jerky. Say what, say what. And it's all fresh. Love to see it. That's that's where we end. You know, as soon as we start getting into that mentality of no brain cells left, she's done. But um, yes. I, thanks for joining us, y'all. We appreciate you all more than you know. And we will see you next week. Au revoir. Au revoir. Ah. <laughs>